I, Abdullah Njai, having been elected as member of the National Assembly of the Republic of the Gambia, do hereby swear that I shall serve, I shall be faithful and bear true allegiance to the Republic of the Gambia, as by law established, that I shall execute the functions of the member of the National Assembly without fear or favor, affection or ill will, according to the Constitution and other laws of the Gambia. So help me God. This podcast came to be because I want to reignite discussions about Pan-Africanism. And the purpose is to plant seeds of unity and inspiration among Africans, both at home and in the diaspora. I believe we have come to the stage where our continent is more vulnerable than ever. And it's up to us to decide our fate moving forward. What we will come to realize, I hope, is that we're so much more alike than we're different. And this show is just a small contribution to the public discourse that is going on in Africa right now. My name is Soshima Iro, and this is the Pan-African Experience. For today's episode of the Pan-African Experience, I'll be speaking to Honorable Abdule Njai. Honorable Njai is a newly elected member of the Gambia National Assembly. His election in April this year made him the youngest member of his country's National Assembly. Prior to his election, Njai was and continues to be a community leader and a youth advocate. He spends a great deal of his time in volunteering services. He is the chair of Board of Directors at Unity Foundation. He is the chairperson of Development Oriented Citizens, a group of advocates that promote peace, unity, progress, and development in Gambia. Honorable Njai considers himself a humanitarian and is very much interested in making positive changes in his country and around Africa. I am very honored and grateful to have him on the podcast. Honorable Abdulli Njai, welcome to the Pan-African Experience. Yeah, thanks so much, sir. Um, Hero, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure to, yeah, to, uh, to be part of this wonderful uh, Pan-African program. And I uh, hope um, to have a very fruitful discourse with you to um, share my ideas, but also learn from, we learn from each other as well. So, okay. Okay. You know, you are a native of Banju, uh, Lancaster in Gambia, you know, West African country. And on April 12th, you were elected as a member. Uh, you operate April 12th, you were sworn in as a member yeah. of uh, Gambian National Assembly. And that made you yeah. the youngest member of uh, the National Assembly. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, it's quite an honor. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's already an honor to be a citizen of a country. To be born and bred in a certain country is an honor, it's a blessing. But um, it's just, um, uh, a, I could say, a brother. I don't know how to, it was something, it was like, it was divine. Like, it's just, an, it's just a pure honor to be able to serve one's nation at such a high level. Um, being so young, uh, it's just a blessing. So, uh, what I say again, how old are you, uh, if you don't mind me asking? 26. Okay. So why why politics? What what made you go into uh, politics? Honest, um, my case is a really bit different from so many others. 
uh, for the fact that um, I'm very negative output in terms of um, the way I see the political spectrum, you know. And um, it took me some time before I later understood that um, it was about the personalities, the individuals, you know, but that politics is just politics, but it's how we do politics. And like the how is, you know, is what's manifested and what's manifested is quite negative. So that's the negative connotation have, have always had since my tender ages with so many, you know, fellow comrades and activists, you know, um, so it took us time before we realized that, you know, um, in politics, one comes in to change certain things. So whether you, it depends on your intention, what, what have you come to do and what do you want to change? Um, do you have the right prerequisites? Do you have the, do you have the, you know, um, the drive? Um, do you, are you sincere enough in what, what you want to do? And to be very specific as to exactly uh, what do you want to change? And these are the things that we learned very late, but um, once we were able to realize that, you know, um, we could be, you know, a sort of change. We could bring some sort of change in politics and how people see it. That was when we decided to step into politics and, you know, uh, yeah. But my case, just to put things, um, it was more of a, uh, a public call, you know, more of a public call because I've always been, yeah, I've always been in the grassroots. Um, hope, hope you don't mind. Um, this is called um, attire in my local language. Okay. Yeah. This is called attire in my local language. So in Gambia here, wherever you pass by people, mostly when you see a group of people, you'll always see them brewing attire. It's a form of um, local tea that we like to brew locally, you know, and drink them once in a while. Is it like coffee? For the body. Is it like uh, caffeine? It's like coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'll invite you to Gambia one day so that um, you could have a taste of it. I don't know if you don't mind, I could have a sip. Please, I would love to come. I would love to come one day. Please, go ahead. <laughs> so it's taking by sips. Okay. Right. Is it hot? Yeah, it's usually hot. Okay, okay. You know, it's a, it's the Pan African discussion yeah. so everything has to be african we have to localize everything so yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know yeah. i have yeah, so a... like i was saying Go yeah, ahead. um my coming into politics came um as a result of a public public call because i've always been on the ground i was i was always um leading from the back you know doing my own thing leading civil society organizations i was very into charity work as well I have um, a very high demonstrated demonstrated record in, you know, um, you know, social upliftment and you know, suicide organizations, you know, and all those those sort of things. You know, I was always you know always eager to be of service to my community. You know, so um, I was known really. I was not someone new in the political. I was new in the political spectrum, but I was I was already a household name in my community. So. It was as a result, um, you know, they were really happy with the the, the, the former the former incumbent, you know, for certain reasons. So out of the blue, my name just started popping up, you know. So uh, I I did have my reservations at first, but later on, after consultation, you know, and proper self-assessment and stuff, you know, uh, I decided to take up the challenge, you know, because the thing is, um, I realized that um, there were two things involved. Like one was um. I would reject this 
and then I would be back in the drawing board, you know, pointing fingers that I'm, I don't like this, I didn't like this, this should have been done this way and that way. Or I could take up the challenge and try to be part of the policymakers, part of the lawmakers, part of the decision-making processes in order to make change in my community. So when I when I read the when I read the two, you know, there was only one outcome. You know, I had to be there for my people. So yeah. okay, so these so, are my reasons for coming into politics. Yeah. What do you yeah. what do you want to see change in your country? You know, what do you what did you campaign on? What issues are you passionate about? Yeah. Um, uh, um, as a um, during during my campaign, I, I had a, a four point agenda. You know that because um, um, prior before my campaign, in order to you know we decided to be change makers in whatever we do, we want to be change makers in whatever process we take part of. So entering politics was totally new for us. I together with my entire team, you know, being being so young and entering the political spectrum, and you know, um, being challenged by so many experienced people in politics here. So it was quite challenging for us, but still to, you know, give a due process and make sure we did everything to the max, make sure we do the right thing. So the first thing we did was uh, we had a consultation. We, we went to our people to ask them, I'm a part of Banyu Central. I together with most of my team members, but still wanted to ask the people exactly what their concerns were, what they, what, what they think was lacking, things that they weren't happy with the incumbent. So we had we had a lot, uh, a very bulky list of things that um, were real lapses in the constituency and in the Gambia generally. Um, so um, with that, we had to narrow it down. I had a series of meetings with my team. So we narrowed it down to a four-point agenda to felt that it, it encompasses everything that's been of concern, you know, uh, the data that we got. So um, the first one was, um, you know, um, uh, uh, the representation aspect. We felt that um, we weren't represented well. You know, the second one, just to fast forward things, um, it was well detailed. But the second one was um, the legislative aspect. We feel that in terms of the legislative aspect, you know, there wasn't the, the communication gap between you know um, the, uh, our parliamentarians and that of the people that they serve. There was really you know a bridge that need to be you know, a gap that need to be bridged in terms of the legislative processes. You know. You know, as a parliamentarian, you are representing your people, your constituency. In parliament, you are the mouthpiece, right? So part of um, the cry of the you know, constituent, constituency was that um, they, they didn't feel that, number one, they were represented. It was point number one in our four-point agenda. Represent, we, we came to, make, to bring a better representation, right? So the second one was the legislative aspect. We felt that um, when it comes to the legislative aspect, the communication gap was really high. People didn't know what was being said there. They didn't know how they were being represented. Nobody, there wasn't any form of consultation. So these were things that we felt was a big problem and a gap that we wanted to bridge. So that was point number two. So point number three was the scrutinization of things. We felt that um, those that were representing us, you know, and when it comes to scrutiny, you know, it was really biased because um, uh, there was this, um, we had a uh, what we call the CRC, um, that was um, two years ago was called the Constitutional Review Commission. That was after the ouster of President Jamil. We wanted to change the, the, the laws because, you know, he was a dictator, so he usually used the parliament in trying to fix himself in with laws that would favor him and to be able to, you know, do all these, you know, that stuff, you know. So there were things that we wanted to change. So we had two options. The, the first option was, you know, to amend the 19, 1997 constitution that was already here, you know, 
to pull out the you know the things that we felt that you know were in you know really relative of our aspirations as a nation, or we could just have an overhaul, you know, and have a change of the entire constitution. And that's what we opted for. That's what happened. So it was funded and everything. So in a two-year process, you know, the CRC um, travel or the length and breadth of the, uh, Gambia, asking different people in different walks of life as to what they wish, you know, to be changed the constitution, what, what what was supposed to be left of, you know, and all those type of things. So at the end of the day, we had a holistic package. We had a for, for the first time in our history, we had a constitution that was, you know, the voice of the people. You know, we chose exactly what we wanted in that constitution, right? So um, once it went to parliament, you know. It was disrupted and it didn't go through. So it was wasted, wasted resources, wasted time, wasted everything, you know. So it wasn't passed through. The reason why it wasn't passed, mostly it was based on partisan politics, purely partisan politics, you know. It was, it was by then, it, was, it wasn't favorable for the executive, right? Who we are to police. I don't know if you understand. Mm -hmm. So this was a problem that also, you know, was of concern. So we also promise that when we come, we'll do our level best, both individually, but also try to influence others in making sure we have proper scrutinization. That was point number three in our four-point agenda, scrutinization process, uh, so that um, at least uh, it will uh, bring efficiency in our working and legislative processes. So the, 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 the fourth one was um, inclusion. Like we, for the first time, we, we felt that there was really, um, uh, how do I say, um, there was a, there was a unison within the within, within my constituency because um people were cordial everything is okay but um i think um it was high time we brought everything together whereas anything that we are doing we do it collectively as a constituency you know so this uh, this included um the, the differently able women children and all those things so part of what made my politics uh, my um, campaign easier was that i've been engaging with these people prior to coming to politics you know so um it was something that I had tangible evidence that, that I have already done in the constituency that you know really uh, helped amplify my campaign. So these are these were the four promises you know I, I I campaigned with, and after even coming in now that I'm elected and in these are the this this will be my guide you know my guide towards my entire five year tenure because I'll be working you know you know going step by step these promises that I've made. So um, okay. I would, I just so these, are the things that, these are the things that we wish to change, both on the constituency level, but also on, on national level as well, because these are the things that are lacking currently. I want people to understand the extent of your achievement, because in Africa, African countries, the, the, the barrier of entry into politics is, is very, very high. Hence, you have yeah. the elite you know, only engaging in politics. So what you managed to achieve uh, as an independent, you know, within a major party as an independent, is, is remarkable. I'll give you an example. In Nigeria, you know, they, they have a ruling party called APC. Yeah. <laughs> so in this, APC, in this APC, you know, you have a, a, a declaration of interest to buy a form to contest for election. So let's say, Fees include 100 million naira for presidential aspirant, you know, made up, and this is made up of 30 million naira for the expression of interest and 70 million naira for the nomination form, right? Wow. And then for the governorship aspirants, you have uh, 50 million naira for, wow. for to get the form. That's 
And then yeah. for for senatorial and house representative, almost like what you did, is uh, 20 million naira for the Senate and 10 million wow. naira for the house <laughs> of representative. I, I wouldn't have stand, I wouldn't have stood a chance if I was in Nigeria. So that's wow. what I'm saying. So that that alone, the, that so higher that's a problem. What of, what of the layman like myself who wishes to enter politics and make certain changes? Like, which means you have to be a light or part of, you have to be an elicist or part of the elite movement able to at least stand a chance even of being elected. So uh, yeah. that's, that's what we need to change. That's... You'll always have the, the same set of people on a generational basis. So that's quite, um, yeah, that's, uh, that yeah, that's what we need to change in our country because uh, even for people that cannot afford their money, but they have political ambition, they tend to be sponsored by someone who now becomes right. the godfather. But when you're so, not getting into politics, when like you're not getting option. yeah, that's when you're not getting into office, being sponsored yeah. by someone else, you no longer think of the your constituent. You're not thinking of appeasing the godfather that sponsored you. So exactly. that 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 destroyed the, the 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 idea of politics or representing exactly. your constituents. Exactly. Exactly. So that what we because, need to change. With, yeah, because with that, um, there's no more integrity. There's no more principle. You know, um, it's like um, you don't even need to take an oath because um, who are you serving, right? You get the point. So I think that's a problem. That something that would be a big fight. But it needs to be changed. I think it's um, high time people start being bold enough and saying it as it is. So it's, it's, it's a big barrier. It's a problem. And it's uh, it's across the board. It's, um, it's everywhere, to be honest. Globally, it's everywhere. Yes. Globally, so. Yes. Honorable uh, Njai, uh, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question, uh, almost an unfair question. You know, uh, I always said I will ask this question to any African politician that I have on this podcast. And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, you're the first uh, politician I'm having on the podcast. So the question is, wow. I'm honored. <laughs> are you willing to die for your country? 100%, definitely. 100%, definitely. Like, um, why, why not? Why not? Why not? Okay, I ask you that question because I know that one day you're going to become the president of Gambia. And when you become um, the president wow. of Gambia, <laughs> When you become the president of Gambia, there will come a point where you have to choose between your country, between your people, and some external influence. Yeah. Whether it has to do with treaty, whether it has to do yeah, with arms deal, yeah. whether it has to do with aid, whether it has to be some, with, with finance. There, there will come a point where you have to choose between your country, your people, and some external influence or external interest. And that's the point that I would like you to remember exactly what, I, what, I, what I'm speaking to you about now, why I ask you this question. Are you willing to die for your country? So that's why I asked that question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, um, uh, um, with regards to the above things that you've mentioned, like, for example, when, let's say, I'm in leadership, right? Let's say I'm the president. And then um, I have to make a very, you know, decisive call, you know. Um, the citizenry should always be priority in whatever you do. I don't think there should be any option with regards to choosing, you know, to sacrifice, you know, yourself, you know, for your citizens. There's no greater honor than that. 
And um, the thing is, um, I, I I did exemplify that, you know, and I have pictorial evidences to prove that. Because um, in 2016, you know, um, during uh, the ouster of uh, President Jamie Rebel after the elections, and he lost the elections and then refused that, uh, refused, you know, then it, it, it brought, uh, then later on the impasse came through, you know, and people mass exodus, you know, from the Gambia going to our neighboring country in Senegal, right? During those processes, um, I could say, you could say 90% um, or so of the, of, the, of the populace, you know, um, went wherever they could, you know, to save themselves and stuff. I, being the person I am, together with some of my trusted comrades, you know, being an activist, being a patriot and a lover of my country, I decided to stay. I decided to stay. Some, most of my family members went, you know, because Gambia and Senegal, we, we, we are border, so we also have family members um, in Senegal. You know, even my mom, everyone, everyone fled. They all went, but I stayed here. And most importantly, that's why it's very important to also have patriotic parents, right? My dad, being the person he is as well, you know, decided to stay as well. So I was living with my dad. We didn't went anywhere. And in fact, I was part of both to and fro during the, before the impasse, during the impasse and later on when things died down, we all we were at the ferry terminal helping people, you know, to come. And during the process as well, I was doing my own things here, you know, talking to relevant stakeholders. By then, even the internet was down, but we were finding other means through my charity. And we were able to even raise a lot of money to send to people on the border to provide um, fooding and shelter for them. You know, it was very risky because by then, um, you don't know who is who. Anything can happen, you know, but it was a risk we were supposed to take. And it would have been an honor for me, you know, to, to you know, to, 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 it was an honor for me to sacrifice myself, you know, um, in, in, the, in, in the service of my nation. So I don't think there's any greater honor than that. So though, though that's, that's not compared to, let's say, being in a presidential seat today and having to make very critical decisions, but I think... That's something to you know to showcase that I, at least I have manifested patriotism in that level. So I think um, when things like that come up, you know, always like we, we should like right, right now, I as a lawmaker, I should always have that mindset that whatever happens in this country, you know, we I together with all um, public office holders, you know, we always always have to make sure that we are in the forefront. We are always willing to sacrifice ourselves, not just being you. you, you Patriotism is in the heart. You don't need to be in a certain level to be able to make those sacrifices, you know. So um, uh, uh, I think um, with, with the sound conscience and the right state of mind and sincerity, I think one should uh, always um, be in readiness any time to sacrifice yourself for your nation. There's no greater honor than that. And part of Islam to loving your country is a very, very big status in, in Islamic doctrine. Loving your country you know, it's an obligation to every Muslim that one should always love their country. So these things combined, you know, should be always um, considered and put, put it into consideration. So it's not even about me being in the presidency to be able to sacrifice um, certain things for my country. No, it's a mindset that one has to carry always. So, yeah, I think, yeah, we always um, make sure we put our country first in everything we do. And we pray for God's guidance to, in whatever case it might be. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was wondering, uh, you know, when you were in secondary school or higher uh, education, uh, did you 
Did they teach you anything within the realms of uh, post-colonial legacy, within the realms of uh, Pan-Africanism or colonialism? Did they teach you anything like that in the secondary school? Because certainly they didn't teach me that when I was in Nigeria. So did they teach you that anything to do with Pan-Africanism when you were in secondary school or, 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 or in higher education in Gambia? They didn't. Um, they, um, I don't know. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a huge vacuum that needs to be looked into, really, because um, uh, mostly um, us Africans, uh, we only deem ourselves civilized only when we happen to be exposed in foreign countries, especially Western countries. Know, uh, is shown to people that have been in the West and back 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 home. It's like um, there's this out 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 view that uh, uh, you know he might be oh he's, he might be more exposed yes because of his travel. But um, there's a way we Africans tend to look at people who have been in the West or or something like that as you know they are better off than us or you know in terms of intellectualism. You know, of social economic outlook, understanding of the, you know, uh, global uh, spectrum and stuff. So that, that's a huge um, gap that needs to be. And the main problem with that is because um, we are not taught in our schools as to what it means to be, and what it means to be Pan-African, what it means to love your country, and what what it means to be a black person, and the importance of being a black person, and the importance of the black person, you know, and the influence of the black black person in towards um. Uh, generational history because if you go back you know we were the first people that became civilized you know if you go back to history you know and most of these things that have been taken away from us you know and and the way some of the ways that it's been taken away from us is that they've been de they've deprived deprived of these things you know in basic education and also senior education inclusional um, um curriculums because these are tender ages whereby, you know, we'll be able to at least have that sense of patriotism in us, whereby we'll be able to grow with them, you know, with that pan-Africanist mindset, you know, to be able to know what our problems are, you know, and how to solve those problems. So these are things that, uh, these are gaps, gaps that uh, really need, need to be bridged. So I didn't go through those processes. Um, and also, um, you know, here in the Gambia, we have a private schools, also public schools. So I went to a private school. So in public school, they do, they do study government, like they do, you know, but that's on a formal level. But I don't think there's any curriculum as per to, you know, Pan-African training or whatever, or Pan-African education and all those things. They, 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 it's really not in the curriculum. You know? That's the one thing. I, yeah, that that's... have been so unfortunate because I have been taught um, Western history. With, with growing up now, I know, like, it, it has nothing do with whatever I have to do, you know, because um, I'm just so lucky to be, you know, uh, to grow up and um, be able to read books, be able to at least do my own research and later on finding out that, you know, this is the person I am and this is the person I should be. You know, you can't serve as a ambassador for Africa if you don't know about Africa. If you don't have that sense of patriotism, that sense of African. If you don't love your skin, how can you promote it? Yes, because I ask you that question. I, I ask you that question because, you know, uh, it's the same in Nigeria, in the same in most African countries. They, they, nobody, there's no Pan-Africanism in curriculum. There's nothing to talk about, uh, you know, colonial legacies or 
all those things that no we, we centric subjects no, no afrocentric no afrocentric subjects so all those things are not there and i ask you that question because in 2005 France yeah. passed a law that came to be known as the law of February 23rd, uh, 2005. The law was intended to recognize the contribution of the hackers, you know, the 200,000 uh, or so Algerians who fought alongside French colonial troops in their country, you know, uh, during the war uh, of independence. I think it was 1954 to 1962. But yeah. by the way, France subsequently withdrew and uh, abandoned these soldiers, and most of them, about 130,000 of them, were executed. So, but that's not the point of, uh, of this comment. What I wanted to say is that a clause of this bill, well, um, a clause of this bill mandated schools, uh, you know, schools to teach courses that should recognize in particular the positive role of the French government, uh, French presence in overseas countries, especially in North Africa. Do you understand mm -hmm. that? Central Africa. Yeah, mm -hmm. mandating schools to teach the positive role of French presence overseas, especially in Africa. This positive is what, role. Positive role, in, you know? So this is what they're teaching students in France. So why can't African leaders teach African students their own uh, view of the history? Teach them about Pan-Africanism. Teach them to love their country. Teach them to love themselves. You know, African countries, especially Nigeria, are the number one consumer, uh, if either number one or number two consumer, next to India, of bleaching cream. Do you understand? The idea that our sisters are bleaching their uh, skin is that idea that the other complexion is superior than what they have. Do you understand? This is a deeper issue that we need to address. Do you understand? So the fact that France is... And, and what, what's unfortunate is um, it's like, um, okay, um, you can't take a certain percentage, you know, and, um, uh, uh, and you know, make it parallel with the entire uh, populace. Of but course. What, what those statistics show is that just that, um, you know, it's like saying, I am not comfortable with the color of my skin. I do not want to be black. Yeah, I don't blame them though, because you know what we've seen is that the beauty standard has and been defined. Someone else has defined the beauty standard. <laughs> Do you understand? So the idea is that someone so else. Now it needs to be redefined. Yes. In its proper proper source. Yes. It needs to be redefined to its proper source. Yes. And that's where I and you, uh, you know, need to use our mediums in trying to. Yes, I really want us to work together personally on this. I, I, if I have to yes. come to Gambia, I'll come to Gambia. If I have to speak to your, your, your yeah, assembly, yeah, I have yeah. to speak to them so that we yeah. can start to put something in the curriculum to start to teach the young people, you know, to start to let them because understand. Part of my interview, even part, uh, some of my interviews, maybe I'll share some of my interviews with you. I've always tried my level best in making sure, for example, it was, uh, I just realized that uh, we have more of a, um, you know, bureaucrats, you know, uh, in the in the country rather than technocrats. And technocrats build nations. You know, they build these institutions. You know, they build these whatever um, processes that need, needs bureaucratic, you know, administration is first built. The structure needs to be there before administration starts. You know, so technocrats are builders. You know, when they say Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was built by technocrats, right? So Africa shouldn't lack 
Africa should be rich in technocrats right now. And the thing is, um, we don't have career guidance in our, in our schools, you know, because um, you sometimes, you know, we, I think um, we, we more force uh, in the academic lane rather than the technical, you know, the technical side of things. Because sometimes um, someone might not be, you know, efficient academically, but they might be very good with their hands or other means, you know. So it's really good to try to put them through at an early, at an early age, you know, to give them certain options as to, you know, exactly, you know, to beautify, you know, technocracy, to beautify technical work, you know, and all those stuff, you know, rather than always just being in the office and all those stuff, you know. So these are all things that um, need to face, you know. And also, like what you've just said, we need Afrocentric uh, subjects uh, as curriculums and in how Gambia came about, you know, who are the key, who are the key founders of our country, you know. What, 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 what did it mean for the country, you know. What has it where has it taken the country you know with that we'll be able to know exactly where we stand right now and our responsibilities personally and what roles we should play in making sure we, pre we prepare we, we do things necessary in preparing the uh you know the, the generation to come so these are things that are that are lacking you know and um just um a couple of um, months ago i saw a post uh, in um one of um, our internet uh, sources in my country here saying that um, I think the UK or the British embassy or something uh, were just having a discussion with uh, uh, or, or higher educational institutions as per to you know, bringing in uh, human rights as a curriculum. You know, I don't know if you get what I'm saying. So I don't know. I like to read in between the lines. So I saw that as a big problem. I'm like. Uh, it's like putting the cart before the horse, you know. Yeah, I want to say something quickly. Can I, I want to say try to know ourselves. Yeah. I want to say something quickly about that because this is something that is quite important because yeah. we cannot forget cultural elements in anything we do. There is cultural ele element. There is cultural differences. You know, uh, one thing that yeah. the COVID has taught us, especially in the UK here, is that you know freedom. Freedom is freedom and human rights is 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 uh, selective or it defined differently depending on who is defining it. Do you understand? So for Britain or British Embassy or British Commission to come and want to institute human rights course in your school yeah. is something that yeah. your your assembly will have to review wherever it is. You know, exactly. uh, on a case-by-case exactly. case basis, exactly. you have to take a look at it and scrutinize it through the lens of your culture. Through the lens of your culture. Yeah, um, I, I, will, I, will, I will influence that to the maximum. I'll make sure um, I'm, I'm well acquainted with exactly um, where the fifth legislature, you know, we are the, we are the sixth, sixth, sixth legislation, legislature. So I'll make my findings as per to the fifth legislature, where they left off in terms of, you know, uh, the education, uh, the committee for education, and you know, certain influences as to, you know, uh, making sure certain you know topics that are uh, more patriotic are incorporated into the system at a very tender age, so as to help prepare our youth um, in terms of taking over you know our continent. So yeah. these are very important things. And and the, the thing is, um, human rights is human rights. You know, like everyone likes the idea human rights. Everyone you know deserves equal rights and you know. Uh, but the thing is, um, uh, as Africans, um, 
we have we should have our own ways of defining it because we have put our religious and cultural values is we protected as well these are unique values that make us african these are values that um, you know differentiates of differentiates us from uh, others is what makes us unique you know and we shouldn't play with these ideals so uh, we should be very careful what we um, what we take and um, you know uh, it's, it's, it's okay to it's a global village the world yes is a global it's okay village. to yes. be open-minded you know, however yes we need to be open-minded we need to explore and stuff you know yes boys but they have to scrutinize as to how to upkeep uh you know cultural values because yes. these are things that you know uh, makes us africans uh, these are very important things so that's what uh, i'm saying i don't like the idea of importing ideals every time you know you have to be very you know um, I think we have to be comfortable in also being able to sell our ideals elsewhere, our African values elsewhere, and they have to appreciate it as well equally. So these are things that we need. Yeah, to you know, we always, I always make a joke like, you know, Africans are the Africans are very easy to adopt other people's culture. You know, if you see like Chinese or Indians. You know, Chinese yeah. or Indians are more likely to. They're so conservative. Yeah, so conservative. They're more likely to so introduce. What they have. They're yeah. more likely to so introduce your their culture to you. Like if you come to the UK here, exactly. the popular food, exactly. the most popular exactly. food here is Indian food and Chinese food, are the most yeah. popular food in the UK. Do you understand? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, I also. Um, is it okay to ask a question? Yes. Ask please. This question. Yes. Yeah. In Nigeria, I don't know. In Nigeria. Um, when it comes to um, enterprises, right, both private and public enterprises, in terms of, um, you know, um, hiring people, let's say um, foreigners, uh, people that are not Nigerian, let's say I as a Gambian coming to Nigeria to work, um, is there any mechanism put in place? Um, like, in, like in Senegal, there is this law whereby anyone that has to hire, uh, has a business uh, and being a foreign person and has to hire, I think, at least 75% of your workforce should be, you know, um, Senegalese, for example. So is it is, is it like that in Nigeria or something? Because we don't have that here in my country. And I think um, these are really important things yes. that, um, you know, yes. once so, investors come in our country, yes. we try to make sure that um, part of promoting employment for our people, we make sure a certain percentage, you know, um, of our people are employed. I don't Yes, you can promote that. It's, it's uh, called uh, the local content. You know, whether it's oil and gas, if you give a contract to oil and gas company, they have to have local content. If the skills are not there, they have to train. They have to train the locals. Then, then we have a lot of work to do. We don't have that here. Okay. Yeah, we don't have that here, unfortunately. So um, that's what you can introduce. Uh, I'm quite I happy. Think that, that will help in curbing um, unemployment rate. At least it will lower unemployment rate at least yeah yeah and uh, so the um yeah so the, the the idea is just to have local content you know companies will be mandated to hire at least 75 percent of local workforce you know if the the excuse is that they're not, they're not skilled well if they're not skilled you have to train them train them yeah. in those skills that you require them Capacitize to perform. Them. Yeah. yeah so train yeah. them in those skills the former president of your country, Yaya Jame, is not wow. someone is not someone I would consider a democratic president. Would you agree with that uh, assertion? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. It was a dictatorship. It was nothing like democratic. Yeah.
And then how did he leave office again? Was he, he said there was there was was there a demonstration uh, for him to leave office or he was just voted out of office? Yeah, he was voted out. Um, surprisingly, he was voted out. But but for the first time, um, you know, um, the country came out collectively, you know, to say enough is enough. So um, everyone came through. The opposition parties, you know, for the first time, you know, decided to put their differences aside and form a form a coalition, a very strong coalition. You know, and uh, the also Gambians in diaspora, you know, um, did big fundraising programs and raised a lot of lot of lot of money, you know, and you know, pumping it in the country, making sure you know the coalition had all the right uh, materials and tools to push through. You know, and you know the advocacy was going on. Uh, you know, we were on the media, and my other comrades, you know, and other youth, uh, very uh, you know, strategic, strategically using our WhatsApp groups. You know, and yeah, everyone did their thing once, and um, you know, uh, did their, did what they had to do. But the most important um, event was that um, uh, there was uh, one. Um, there was one man called um, uh, Solo Sandeng. Uh, may, may his soul rest in peace. Um, I think he was the he is an icon of Gambia because he sacrificed his life. Uh, sometimes it becomes very tragic, tragic, uh, tragic. But um, you know, uh, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for him, he lost his life. But that was the yardstick that paved the way uh, for a new transition. Because um, for the first time, Jame was so such a boot and he was so feared that um not a single soul you know uh, had that got to you know speak truth to power so for the first time uh, the guy arranged uh, uh, a public demonstration together with his youth, youth movement and came out publicly you know to denounce uh, the, 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 the the then government you know and as a result you know he was apprehended he was beaten mercilessly he was i could say cut into pieces the, the pictures were gruesome to be honest he lost his life, uh, you, know, uh, you know, but that was what sparked the, the, the revolution. That's what, that was what sparked, the, that was a turning point for the country. And wow. eventually, as, as a result of that sacrifice, um, uh, you know, things, uh, the, the transition came through and okay. we got what we wanted. We had that too, yeah. Yeah, may, may so rest in peace, you know, sometimes uh, yeah, thanks, we lose uh, someone for change to happen. So what about yeah, the current so. president? What about your current president, Adam Barrow? How do you assess him? Yeah, um, I think um, he's more of a listener. I like to be objective in when I when I say things. Um, even when I when I um, I like to be constructive in my criticism because um, uh, I'm not uh, boastful. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I don't. Have, I'm, I'm not a proud person. I'm not uh, an arrogant person, so I'm very uh, mindful as to how I say things and stuff like that, you know, because um, uh, he's the president. Uh, things won't be, it won't be easy every time, but it's our duty also as uh, lawmakers to police the executive, you know. So in my assessment, because we've been with him for the past five years, um, I think uh, he's a listener. Um, I think he's more... Um, less authoritative than the former regime. Um, I think um, in terms of um, uh, freedom of expression, I think it's more tolerant because um, sometimes I look at the media and people like yourselves in the media say things that um, 
you wouldn't have lasted a second <laughs> in the in the booth <laughs> if Jamel was around. <laughs> so um, yeah, so you'll give him credit uh, for, for for that, you know. And I think he's also very development oriented because um, uh, there there also very um, there also projects that have um, different projects that are taking place. You know, these projects they they are questionable some, you know. Um, but at least um, there's been changes in certain uh, uh, areas. Um, coming to the, uh, um, you have to be critics as well. Um, I think um, corruption has been um, over the roof in the camp since he's coming in. Because the thing is, I don't know if he sometimes doesn't hear about these things or he just chooses to be uh, ignorant in certain things. But um, I've seen uh, recently, um, he, he's just changed his cabinet, um, saying that he's, um, you know, he wants to accelerate things and uh, you know, um, we had a TRRC as well, right? Um, Truth, Reconciliation and Reparations Commission that was um, uh, during Jamis during regime from 1994 to 2017, you know, atrocities that were done by victims were brought in to tell their stories and stuff, you know. So, um, in fact, in a couple of days, um, I think you should be more, uh, you should be following the Gambian news from now on. Okay. In a couple of days, he will be taking taking out a white paper whereby these are recommendations that were put through his office, you know, for consideration and implementation, right? Okay. So, the, uh, so we're all waiting for that white paper as to recommendation from the TRRC. So um, this was a promise that he made. So we hope he fulfills it. And um, in terms of the, uh, you know, um, like uh, bureaucratic malpractice and all. So he's changed, decided to change his cabinet. Um, he's reshuffled some people. He's maintained some people and reshuffled them. So um, let's see what happens. He's, he's making some moves. Uh, let's see what happens. But, it, but in, in terms of Ellis's patronage, too, it's a big problem in Gambia because um, you'll see business people that are very close to the president being given lands, you know, like like um, un unquestionable things have been happening that, you know, people have been, you know, um, really uh, vocal in terms of these things, you know, and um, uh, nothing has been done so far. It's like um, you know, sometimes they are close case. It takes, um, you know, got to, uh, you know, um, uh, put them on check and stuff. So I think um, he has to step up and make things sure uh, at least um, we know that he needs business, you know. But uh, I don't know, what's most important is that we have peace. But we also, you know, um, need um, need progress. Um, I don't know if he's the right person to give that give that to the Gambia. Um, and to be honest, so we're not very satisfied with how things have been going. So let's see. Yeah, he's recently won the elections with a landslide with over two hundred thousand plus uh, votes. So let's see in the next uh, what happens um, down the lane. Let's see what happens. But okay. I, um, I think the uh, uh, let's, let's be optimistic. Let's see what happens. So uh, it's always good to see young people like you, you know, coming into politics. And because uh, in Africa, we always have a lifetime president, you know, career president. And uh, most of these people are above 70 years old. You know, by the way, this is not uh, unique to Africa. You know, we can see what's happening in America. You know, Joe Biden and, you know, uh, Ma Angela Merkel before she, she stepped down. So, but the purpose of this podcast is to focus on Africa anyway. So in Africa, we have a lot of uh, old people who has been in the office. Most of them have been in office for 
you know, for more than 30 years, you know, so forth and so forth. A, a, a good example is Yoweri uh, Museveni, you know, president of Uganda, who is 77 years old and has been in office for 36 years. And then you have someone like Paul Bia, you know, president of Cameroon, is 89 years old and has been in office for 39 years. You know, he has wow. been in office before you were born. Wow. And he's wow. still in office. <laughs> You know, yeah. so how can we and, change and, and this? At, um, and pre president of Equatorial Guinea, um, Obian, for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, how can we change this in Africa? You know, how can we encourage young people to run for public office? You know, because there's already high barrier of entry, especially in Nigeria, there's a lot of money involved. But at least in your country, it doesn't seem to be that a lot of money involved in terms of gaining entry to run. So how do we encourage young people to run for public office? Yeah, um, we, we need um, we need a thorough advocacy in terms of uh, you know, youth participation in uh, in politics. Um, but um, what's most important thing? The most important thing is um, uh, youth voices in so many countries are not um, really amplified. It's just um, youth creating themselves um, into groups, you know, or associations or civil societies or charities or whatever you can call it, coming together, you know, um, putting through their initiatives, you know, single-handedly, you know, contributing in one way or the other towards the, you know, the development of their nation. What happens uh, on an executive level, like on a, on a diplomatic or official levels, you know, in order to be able to tap into certain things, but does is that um, does that relate with the uh, is that in relation with the realities on the ground? So these are uh, some of the problems that um, youths are facing, you know. So unless and until um, youths decide to uh, uh, you know check other mediums of making their voices heard, like the way I did it with my team, you know, um, after uh, careful consultation and discussions. We decided to take things, uh, you know, um, to a whole nother level, single-handedly. You know, we did all the required processes. You know, we did everything possible um, uh, with our given um, resources. Though it was very limited, uh, you know, and we were able to uh, to push the things through. And we we had challenges. We had so many obstacles. You know, um, you know, you name it. But we eventually, you know, made made it happen. But the most important thing is. Um, in order to be part of a decision making process, you know, uh, maybe in the Gambia things are a bit more lenient in terms of uh, you know uh, advocacy, uh, because um, in my own case, you know, I you know, uh, I didn't pass any pass through any difficulty in making sure you know uh, let's say any difficulty in terms of the electoral processes, you know, and, you know the registration processes and you know being able to run. So, like you said, there are certain countries. Let's say, for example, in Nigeria, it takes a lot of money to be, just to be able to, you know, uh, register to, to run for any position. So th these are things that need um, strong laws um, to change these things. You know, and it all starts from the parliament. You know, youth should start in any country. Let's say, for example, let's say in Nigeria, you should start there. Let them mobilize themselves. You know, um, consult with the relevant. With the relevant stakeholders, with the relevant lawmakers, you know, in all cities, uh, all over the country, you know, enforcing them to rally behind behind that, to push them, to force them to make laws that will, you know, be of benefit to the youths, you know. So th these are start. 
if that doesn't happen, let's, you know, we have to revolutionize everything now. You know, it, it, it worked for me, you know, it worked for me because sometimes if you're not giving something, you have to take it, you know, <laughs> you have to, you have to do whatever possible to take it. You know? The power belongs so, um, to the people. The power, the power belongs, belongs to, to the, the people. people. And, and, and the people exemplified it because um, imagine our campaign, I, I didn't have any material or financial resources to be able to pull this off, you know, but what, what do we have? We had a very sound agenda, you know, and we knew exactly what message to communicate to our people. We knew what their problems were and the youth population as well. So I could say 90% or I could say 85%, you know, of, of the total voters, you know, um, we are youth that voted for me, you know. And the most important thing is um, these were youth that um, were, you know, first-time voters, most of them. I could say 25% or 30% of these youths were first-time voters, you know. So it was a, you know, it was a, it was a calling, you know, and we proved ourselves, you know. So I think in countries like Nigeria, like your country, um, since you, since it's already, it's, it's not in law, you know, these resources, you need, at least you need financial muscle to be able to, you know, at least even stand a chance of running. So that's the first stage that needs to be taken off, you know, to be able to pave way for youth. So the first thing I would suggest is for youth to make sure they revolute, make sure to have one voice, you know, have a very solid structure and try to constructively and, and with discipline and due diligence um, consult with all the relevant stakeholders, stakeholders, including the lawmakers, and telling them that, you know, to force them to make sure they pass laws, you know, that will at least, you know, limit the financial requirements of um, running for any public office. That can be a good start. I agree. I, I agree. So, but what I'm, what I'm going to task you with, uh, you're probably doing this already, is to find people, you know, people will come to you all, all the time to say, oh, you know, uh, you, uh, they will see your success in winning the election and they want to run, which is a good thing. Now, you will have to start to mentor other young people. You will have to mentor, mentor other young people, or even people that are older than you who may not know how to go about these things. You will have to start mentoring them, you know. Uh, start mentoring them like we spoke before the interview about doing like grassroots work, grassroots work. You don't have to jump straight to the House of Assembly. You can start with your local community. You know, you can start with your local community, your local uh, market square, your local, you know, uh, uh, library, whatever it is you can organize just to make sure your community is uh, is doing well, is progressing, making sure there's no, there's no, uh, you know, there's no theft, there's no burglaries, and things like that, just to, you know, doing things. If there's a pothole and the government is not fixing it, get two or three mm -hmm. of your boys, dig the hole and cover it up, you know, just to look after your community. You community know, just, service. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, very important. So, because, you know, um, let's say um, in, in government, in governmental uh, aspects, you know, when things are in terms of um, uh, policies or whatever, it's usually a bottom-top approach, right? You know, because it's usually done on the on an executive level, you know, on a more light level, you know. But even when it comes to um, community development, it has to be grassroots. It should be a bottom-top approach, you know. So these people should provide the funding, and you know, these people can take it up from the grassroots and put them up, you know. So these these are believe these are strategy that I believe you know, you know, should be able to work and should be implemented. And like you said, um, with um, 
always been doing this even before coming to politics so it's just like taking it to a whole another level you know trying to mentor these upcoming you know young ones um, as using my first hand experience you know as a subject matter you know so um what i usually say to us, in my own case is different i always had this idea that you know i'll try and communicate as much as i can and contribute as much as i can towards the development um or influence things that would be of benefit to my constituency to my community and to the gambia at large you know but um later on i realized that you know um uh, have been doing this for so many years you know but what dividend has it paid you know because the policies that they putting through the laws that they putting through doesn't really directly affect me you know so i have to be in the decision making board to be able to make sure i influence policies that would be of benefit to the grassroots community you know so the you know at least at least um i i have um i have a yardstick at least i have a motive at least i have something that that's of substance that you know compelled me into going into politics so right now i'm inside you know um i'm in the decision making board at least um i have a roadmap i have a plan you know i have a promise you know i have a sense of direction i believe of something that can be continued later so what i advise them is when coming into politics don't just come into politics just for the sake of it you know you can't just sit in your home in your laptops you know doing nothing you know you haven't contributed anything in the society you know whatever you know manner you can and just all of a sudden just come up and say you you want to handle a position like you know want to handle a public position or like that's that's just that's, that's no joke that's serious stuff you know you have to first try to you know at least have the prerequisites you know try to um, enhance yourself academically try to you know um, at least um uh, be cognizant of um, issues surrounding your community surrounding your country surrounding africa at, at large you have a, a very broad perspective as to exactly what the problems are so that at least um you'll be able to uh, solve certain problems at your own level you know and also influence them in whatever capacity you can you know i also like to um uh, uh tell them that um let's say my case was different because i've been doing it voluntarily has have been doing it for the passion right like if um you want to enter public office some of them i would ask them their ages you know once they tell me their age i would make that projection like in the next let's say five years you will be this you know you will be eligible to stand for this and this and this you know why not prepare for it now try to make your research if you are not part of any group try to you know at least um enroll in a group whether it's a charity civil society you know like um any other group it might be you know as long as it's project uh, progressive and um pro development you know at least gain those experiences you know trying to get mentors sometimes you visit people like myself you know who can help you out in certain things um you can visit people are out there who with vast experiences so these are all processes that youths need to take you know in order to prepare themselves you know for leadership positions so i like to be as sincere as i can you know in terms of putting them because because at the end of the day we want quality youth leaders not just youth leaders for the sake of it but quality is efficient ones so yeah we doing all okay let's walk towards this so. okay so this is my last question you just uh, what is your vision what is your vision for Gambia what is the Gambia that you dream about so my vision for Gambia um is to have is to see a united Gambia you know 
the Gambia whereby people are united for the sake of being Gambian, you know, but not based on any partisan, you know, um, inclinations or whatever, you know. I want to see a self-reliant Gambian whereby we'll be able to uh, utilize uh, available resources, you know, to our advantage, to be able to make use of what we have, you know, to consume them, but most importantly, to be able to export them elsewhere, you know, and then reap the benefits and to own ourselves and to utilize ourselves to the maximum, you know. I wish to see a resourceful Gambia, you know, whereby in every domain, in every sector, you know, worldwide, anywhere you go, you know, anywhere you mention any country, you know, our names, our name will be up there, you know. And um, uh, in terms of Pan-Africanism, you know, whenever one mentions um, um, the love of Africa, I want the Gambian name, the Gambian name to be up there. We have very um, bright youths um, and uh, Gambian personnel who are already, you know, uh, on the ground as we speak, you know, in their different domains, different facets, you know, like um, displaying the Gambian history, you know, in such a productive and um, substantive manners, you know, in different different facets, you know, that's very affordable. And these are uh, my inspirations. These are uh, people that are, I, you know, uh, that inspire me to always wake up. Uh, amplified in order to um, take my country to higher heights and uh, the continent uh, in general. And um, but most importantly, I wish to see a Gambia that will always be, you know, um, uh, boastful in terms of the brain, uh, the, the brain gain, you know, because most of the time, us Africans, you know, um, once we, you know, go outside to, um, you know, improve our education or enhance ourselves in terms of, uh, you know, uh, Educational capacities. We tend to um, usually um, stay in those countries to benefit them. So this this is a brain drain for for our country and our continent in general. You know. So I want to see at least more resourceful Africa, whereby these people, you know, will come back. You know, to, um, you know, sacrifice at least um, to make sure that we take a country to higher heights. You know. Yeah. So um, imagine we we had uh, uh, the same. Uh, uh, year of independence uh, with uh, Singapore. But look at Singapore now. Singapore is up there, you know, and, and we, we almost had uh, uh, independence at, this, uh, at the same time frame, you know. So you could see the, the, you could see the huge gap. So we have problems that we need to solve. And um, this is the type of, uh, this is the Gambian fishery that I wish to see. And uh, hopefully I'm very optimistic that we will get to that. Um, and uh, I'll uh, do my level best in playing a part in that. Yes, I'm very op optimistic as well that we will get there as Africa, as a continent. And uh, I know that you will play a big role and many others like you will play a big role in that. So, Honorable Abduli Njai, thank you very much for coming to the Pan-African Experience. Thanks so much, Ero. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure um, uh, to have this interview with you. Uh, it's been uh, really inspiring as well because... Um, uh, I would also um, give a big clap for you. Um, people, maybe people watching out there don't know uh, what type of sacrifices it takes, you know, to have an pan, to have a pan-African channel, you know, because um, you would have opted to, you know, um, uh, like um, hit different domains in terms of, you know, having the uh, publicity or getting the ratings needed, you know, because everything is business now, you know, but you choose the pan-African show. Uh, which really, um, you know, says a lot about you as a person. And um, like you said, um, uh, it's the beginning of many greater things. Um, hopefully we'll meet soon. And... 
Thank you very much. You know, I, 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 why I'm laughing okay, is so that. Many things. I just want yeah. to say, I love you, brother. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. I was laughing. I was laughing when you. I was laughing when you're giving me the compliment because I was joking with a friend that you know I could be. I could be dancing on TikTok and getting like 700 million views, you know? Exactly, that's my point, but, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, right. exactly, that's my point, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't know if you know, the Pan-African discourse is so boring. It's so boring, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. So when someone who just um, decide to have the discussion, says a lot about that person, it means you're really passionate about the content. Uh, very. And you're very sincere in what you do. and. Um, we we'll also do whatever we can um, collectively to make sure we empower each other in whatever um, domain or sector um, we are in. I want so, to work with you. We're going to speak. Yeah, we're going to speak outside uh, off camera. You know, I would like to work yeah, with sure. you personally to see uh, whatever whatever yeah. we can do. Uh, that would be great. So thank you very much for for coming on. You're again, most welcome, please. sir. You're most welcome, sir. It's, it's an honor. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> Subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Pan African Experience. Join us on Facebook at the Pan-African Experience. Follow us on Twitter, TPA Experience. And follow us on Instagram, the Pan-African Experience. Visit our website at www.thepanafricanexperience.com.